Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 is back. Wednesday edition is here with Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us as we broadcast live in Nashville, Tennessee, Downtown Music City at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, the distillery and brewery right here on site with us at the Outkick 360 Studios. Big show planned today, a lot of reaction to the news of yesterday and the headlines that have happened this morning. We'll get into them all with Albert Breer of Monday Morning Quarterback. He will be with us in 15 minutes. And then in hour number two, Dan Dockich joins the show uh, with plenty to say about everything going on across the NFL and college basketball. And uh, we'll, we'll discuss some other big headlines, including the Washington football team now being the Washington Commanders. Lane Kiffin has a take on name, image, likeness, and much more. Jam-packed. Gentlemen, good afternoon. You know, for years I thought that my professional calling was to be a host on a show like this one that we do every day. And... I now find out that my real calling was to lose NFL football games for profit. <laughs> what a gig if I can sign up and get that. I didn't realize there were such incentives to go and tank. Uh, I'm your man. I, I am saying this to all NFL owners out there right now. If you need someone that would not be a good NFL head coach that will lose you right to the number one pick in the draft and you want to pay 100 k per loss, I, I will gladly take that assignment Sorry, guys, I will leave you in a heartbeat <laughs> if an NFL owner elects to hire me to lose football games. Well, as it was coming to light that not only was Flores asked to uh, ensure that Miami lost games, but that the Cleveland regime was uh, you know, told to, to do the same, I was thinking uh, Adam Gase had to be thinking, well, man, I could have been making some extra money if I had been with the right team. Because I was really good at losing games for two organizations. Well, I mean, it was well, mentioned he was uh, Gase. Wasn't it uh, said that Gase was too good at winning down the backstretch in Miami? Yeah, Gase he was there. Gase was out because he didn't want to be a part of a rebuild. He was told this is going to be an all-out rebuild. Translation. Lose, 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 lose. Let's get the number one pick. He went to the Jets and did and, exactly and what he they didn't want to be a part of that. So. I applaud his integrity that he loses with integrity. He goes, he's not losing on purpose. It just happens and when he's he around. Just, he just stinks. It, it happens naturally. He's not forcing it. He's not trying to do it. I feel this way when I, I coach my daughter's basketball team. When I try to intentionally miss a shot for a rebounding drill, I hit the shot every time. I always, I can't miss so when talented. I'm trying. I'm banking it in every time. What a gift. And I, I can't yeah. miss intentionally. <laughs> Maybe I'm like Brian Flores and Adam Gase in, in that regard. But Adam Gase just misses unintentionally every time. Adam Gase's name should come up a lot in this whole thing to me in terms of uh, bad coaching hires where others 
deserving of a chance, maybe didn't get it because that guy, pitiful. Gase and the second go around. I mean, that's that's where you raise an eyebrow is the second chance coaches. Yes. Vic Fangio has no business being interviewed for a head coaching job. But and Josh McCown right now is, is about to get a job with. Uh, yeah, he's but the Jerry Faust of. Uh, yeah, but he's not. I mean, um, we haven't seen him fail yet. No, right. But he's his not qualifications a coming up compared to other guys, white or black, that he's competing with for the job. It's it's uh, well, uh, the the league generally agrees it's a preposterous hire to the point that they apparently wanted somebody else to give him a sniff to validify to validate their hiring of him. Well, let's let's dive right into this with Brian Flores because um, the the more I read through this and I, I I read the lawsuit and look at every part of it, you know, we got in this with Armando Salguero yesterday and he wrote a great piece at Outkick you can read right now about this story. And he hinted at this. What did he call it? A, a a nuclear bomb into the middle of the NFL. On the broadside of the of the ship. Yeah. Um, but that broadside of the ship bomb hit was Stephen Ross. And that part of this, the future of the Dolphins, if this can if he kept receipts and notice, and Armando pointed this out, in the lawsuit, there are certain things that are put in quotation marks. In other words, there are text messages or emails mm-hmm. that have not been shown yet that they have from Chris Greer, that that's the, the main takeaway. Chris Greer saying, the owner's mad at you for winning these games and, uh, and not tanking. And tanking was one of the words in quotation mark uh, that was apparently sent uh, to Brian Flores. But the totality of the lawsuit, while I am sure there's bias that exists and there are times where the process is not played out the way that it should, my main takeaway from it is, Stephen Ross possibly trying to bribe his head coach to lose games that he didn't want to lose and also being financially affiliated with some sports gambling sites is the biggest takeaway from this lawsuit. And I don't see a lot of evidence where you could prove that there was some sort of racism going on in the hiring process with what Brian Flores is pointing out. He made the rounds. I mentioned yesterday, how soon would it be until we heard from Brian yeah, Flores? Yeah, I was surprised. He's, he went on the, the car wash tour this morning. Good Morning America, uh, ESPN. CBS Morning um, or whatever it's called. TMZ Live. I mean, they, they left no stern, stone unturned uh, with the morning news hits. Um, and in 20-minute blocks throughout where he was asked about all this. Everything from um, not feeling like he had a chance with the Giants to uh, what Stephen Ross what he alleges Stephen Ross has done with offering to to tank games and offering $100,000 in return for that, that would fall under the federal, uh, potential federal prosecution if they can prove that. And there, there were details that came out. Um, Cameron Wolf says that the, said on NFL Network this morning that he's talked to at least one of the witnesses who may be able to back up Flores' tanking allegations against the Dolphins and that there are potential multiple witnesses that could come forward in all this. So they'll be able to back up those claims, potentially, based on that report and based on what Flores is saying um, across the, the national television broadcast this morning. Well, where this really hits, I think, from the, the, the racist allegation part of this, this is a class action lawsuit. So they are opening the door for others to jump on this lawsuit with Brian Flores. And they clearly, I think, have some people they expect or know will join. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Hugh Jackson's one of them, you know, making those claims on Twitter about 
Jimmy Haslam may be offering him bribes to lose games also. Um, that, that, to me, is the next piece of this. What are other accounts going to be from black coaches, either head coaches, guys who never got a chance to be a head coach? Um, you know, Eric Bieniemy comes to mind. Is Eric Bieniemy going to come out with some bombshell that's a part of this lawsuit also as to the way he's been treated in the hiring process? Because what they have right now, I just don't see the racist part of this or where they can prove racism in regards to Brian Flores. Brian Flores, by the way, a guy, the Rooney Rule applies to coordinator hires. Now. Brian Flores hired three white offensive coordinators, and the one black coordinator he hired was a co-coordinator, was not given the job on his own. So it's easy to come back and argue if you're their attorney saying, well, look, Brian, you, you did the same thing that, that our owners are doing. You hired the best possible candidate you thought at the time for coordinator jobs, and you were adherent to the Rooney Rule at the time also. You had to interview a minority candidate for these coordinator jobs when this was happening. So I'm just not seeing the racism part of this, but I think the to-be-continued part of it is it's a class-action suit. If this becomes 30, 40 plaintiffs that jump on board and there's a bunch of accounts with these same teams, especially, where there's similar things that are going on and there's different and even bigger claims out there, that's where this becomes, to me, more and more of a, this thing is going to settle for big money with a bunch of different plaintiffs out there. Where it is right now, that response from the league that quickly just said it has no merit, they're going to fight this thing and hope that it goes away and hope that it's thrown out. You can't uh, – look, ultimately teams are going to uh, – and billionaire owners are going to hire who they're going to hire. We all know that. League, you know, with good intentions created the Rooney rule, but ultimately it becomes a sham in, in a lot of circumstances where you know who you want to hire when you fire. Yes. And so what happens? I mean, are the Titans a guilty party when they know they want to hire Mike Vrabel and they interview Vrabel and Lafleur and Steve Wilkes? That Steve Wilkes interview – isn't really legit in some in some ways. But the intent of the rule is also to get Steve Wilkes or whoever's in the Steve Wilkes role there some exposure. So Steve Wilkes, my understanding is, maybe he's not going to get the job. But maybe he comes in and makes a good impression on Amy Adams Strunk or or John Robinson. And then word of mouth, the, you know, John Robinson's got a lot of buddies around the league. And he says to Jason Light, the next time, hey, you know who you should talk to? Steve Wilkes was really good That's the when he the was rule. here. And there's some snowballing there. But there's also this potential that it comes across. This one isn't one that got a lot of word of mouth. That it comes across as a sham interview. And a lot of African-American coaching <clears throat> candidates aren't interested in coming in to be your token black guy interview when they know that your intent is to hire Mike Rabel. And so it's complicated. It's, it's not a simple thing by any means. And I do have issue with Mike Malarkey getting three chances and Adam Gase getting two chances and McDaniels getting a second chance before Gerard Mayo or Byron Leftwich get their first chance or some other white guys, for that matter. We, we all have issue. We talk about it in the NBA all the time. It's just all these guys recycled who go from, from job to job and keep getting chances. I'm all for the influx of new blood. Sean McVay was good new blood. 
Yeah. And, and I think Byron Leftwich would be good new blood, and Gerard Mayo would be good new blood. Well, but, but I, I agree with you, Paul, on that, and uh, I would like to see more new blood. And look, Byron Leftwich may get at one of these jobs. You know, we don't know. There are still, what, five jobs left? Four. Uh, four that are now open. So he could still land one of these jobs. You know, and I also see it, um, you know, Brian Flores talked of the, the plantation setup of the, the rich white owner and then uh, the, all of the, the minorities that work for them. Uh, I, that doesn't hold because of the money that's being paid to players in the NFL. So it's a bad comparison to that. But what I would like to see more of, and we don't see it that often, you know, if Mike Vrabel got hired to succeed Bill Belichick because Robert Kraft had Mike Vrabel as a player and got to know him and said, this guy is an excellent leader. He's going to be a great coach. And he works his way up. And he pretty quickly, let's say, let's say Bill Belichick retires four years ago and he hires him. With 70% of the league being black, I would like to see more of these players that, you know, we talk about relationships. People know what they know. Owners oftentimes know the coaches they know, and they have hiring someone they know. And then it leads to, okay, you got 31 white coaches, one black coach. Some of these players, if the, if the owners get to know them, once they get into the coaching circles, I think it could be an easier route for them to go back and be a head coach for that franchise, where they start or where they were a leader. Coming up, we will chat with Dan Dockett. That's in hour number two. When we come back, Albert Breer of Monday Morning Quarterback he will be with us. We'll chat about the Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL, Tom Brady's retirement, and we'll get a preview of Super Bowl 56. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. From Nashville, Outkick 360 rolls on from our studios inside 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by Albert Breer of the MMQB. Nice enough to join us this afternoon. Albert, uh, big news day yesterday and today combined. Hope you're doing well. We appreciate the time. All right, we'll check in with Albert momentarily. Um, Paul, the, the news that came out yesterday with Brian Flores and the lawsuit, it's chock full uh, it's like 60 plus pages and all the accusations what the it, it, i thought armando did a great job of describing the the bomb that went off the nuclear blast to the broad side of the nfl what's the biggest bombshell of everything that you've read well i i think uh i i think the coaching hiring stuff is a big deal and i think people are going to uh come on to the, the add on to the suit but I think the the biggest thing is is the being asked to lose. Um, that's got implications about ownership for Stephen Ross and potentially uh, in, in Cleveland if Hugh Jackson yep. uh, also kept receipts there, and if others surface who say similar things about their bad tenures uh, when teams were trying to get things. And we'll get into this later. But I think this is the end of a regular draft. 
ultimately for the NFL. I think there's going to be a lottery that comes out. Well, of well, that's why the NBA went to it because yeah. too many teams tanking. Yeah, and I was thinking about the the NBA lottery as you said end of the the normal draft. This is not the first time that a team has been accused of tanking, right? Like uh, we, we have. It, it was long before Tua Tagovailoa that people were. What team sat people down? I mean, was you don't you don't remember Tampa the suck Bay for luck year. The suck for luck year was uh, New Orleans was definitely trying to lose down the backstretch of that season, trying to beat the Colts to number one. This is not the first time that we can point to teams that tanked. It's the first time you can point to a coach that outwardly says, yes, the owner asked me to tank and was going to pay me. In, yeah. in, in, I, I think it takes it to a I, new there's level. There's a big difference between naturally tanking with the roster that you have on the field. Right. We're not a very good team. And playing the games and you're just going to lose and do it. But everyone knows they're not really in it to win it. They want the number one pick. Everyone understands that happens. It's a different level when you're bribing the coach $100,000 per loss. That's where it becomes very different. Incentivizing. And that's, that's losing. to me, that's the biggest thing with this whole story by far, is if he can prove that. I don't know how you say $100,000 specifically unless you have text and email that shows you were being offered $100,000. Yeah. Because I think you look kind of foolish I, if you throw that number out and then say, yeah, he just told me that in passing. It's also very easy for Stephen Ross to say, I was joking. Or that was a, that was a joke yeah. at one point about it. Or just deny it. Unless you have receipts for it, I, I really think if you're making the accusation, paper. you've got you've got proof going along with it. That's got to be phone call. But, but it also goes through Chris Greer. That's what makes me Greer. think there's something to it. I mean, this yeah. would be this would be more than ownership. This would be going through. I mean, the 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 line of of uh, just the, the tele, playing the game of telephone. It came through the general manager to Flores. Well, he says in there that Chris Greer made it clear to him that he was disappointing right, Ross. Right. Whether Greer was in on the hundred thousand element or not. I believe we've got Albert uh, with us uh, here on the show. Albert, we appreciate the time, man. Hope you're doing well. Hey, guys. I hope you can hear me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sorry you. about that. Absolutely. All right, good. What, what is the biggest piece of news and what is a lawsuit packed full of news as you started to unpack page by page yeah. with what went on yesterday and what was filed in New York? What's, number, what's, what's listed in item A for you? I mean, it's hard to separate one from the other, you know, because I think the intention of this is, you know, obviously to like go after the diversity problem the NFL's had. And, you know, I, it's, I mean, like it's embarrassing that there's only one African-American coach. And, you know, I think the important nuance to this is it's actually going after an owner where, you know, in the past, I I think, you know, the, the people who've done these sorts of things and, you know, it hasn't been in this sort of form, but it's been sort of, pointed at the league office in this case is actually like implicating an owner and um, you know, and, and multiple owners. And I think that's important because I do think the league office has worked to try to improve university in the ranks, GMs and coaches. Um, and so, you know, I actually said the, the fact that this is including owners is important. And then I, the second piece is, you know, just tangentially the whole thing Um you know, the fact that there was a hundred thousand dollar payments. Now I don't know if there's a paper trail on that. We'll see. Um, you know, but the idea that a team would be actively tanking and, and, and that that would be happening at a time like game fixing would be happening at a time when the NFL is signing up for gambling sponsorships with every casino under the sun, um, is really, really problematic. And if an owner is doing that sort of thing, I mean, I don't know guys like, I think it's hard for the league to say that the guy can go forward. You know what I mean? Like I, I think if a, if an owner's involving himself in that level, 
of fixing outcomes of games. I mean, all these sports that we watch have is the, the, the idea that they're on the level and you take them off the level changes everything. And so, um, if there is any sort of paper trail, um, on, you know, the idea that, uh, that Steve Ross was offering, um, Brian Flores, $100,000 per loss in order to go up to get a Joe Burrow or a Tua Tungvaloa, well, you know, then I'd say Steve Ross has got a, a pretty big problem on his hands, separate from the diversity issue. What do you think the end game, this calls for a lot of speculation, I understand, the end game for Flores is. Uh, does he become maybe a Kurt, Kurt Flood type of figure? Yeah. I don't know, Paul. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to say because, I mean, you're still in an early stage here. We don't know, you know, what's going to happen with flow as far as jobs in the future. Um, and, you know, I, I, I tend to think that like these things, so I, it'll be a news story for the next couple of days. And then, um, you know, like we'll see what happens with the hiring cycle, but obviously it'll be attached to how the four remaining jobs are filled, you know, and then when, once we get past that, that it goes into the courts. And so, um, that, as you guys know, can take a while. And, um, I, I mean, I think it just sort of becomes this thing that's, that's, that's hanging out there. And I mean, look, like I, I, I got a lot of respect for Flo for putting, you know, his own neck on the line this way. I will say this, you know, I'm down here in Mobile at the, at the senior bowl and, you know, I, I was around some Patriot connected people the last few days. And I, I just tell you like the, 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 the loyalty to Flores, the respect for Flores is tangible. And so I, I, I think that there's a possibility that, um, that he has more trouble getting jobs than he would have otherwise, but he's got such strong relationships and, and he's got such a strong level of respect with so many people across the league. I just, I have a hard time imagining that his like career in the NFL is going to be over because of this. And Albert, one of the things that's argued in the lawsuit is that he was painted by the organization as a quote, angry black man in all of this. Yeah. So I guess my question is, th there's some – look, four offensive coordinators, two defensive coordinators, four offensive line right. coaches in three years. There was a lot of turnover on the staff, and some are pointing to that and saying he had a hard time getting along with people. My question is, from what you know about him, is he that much different from other NFL head coaches in terms of demanding, difficult to be around at times, and, and, and maybe hard to work for, or is there something – yeah. extra there with, with uh in, in in regards to flores it was definitely hard to work for i mean i and i i think you know like if you want to look at the the end of all of this and why um he wound up losing his job you know i, I think things were dysfunctional enough over the last couple of months of the season to where i think the owner decided i gotta make a decision you know i and i, and I gotta decide if i'm gonna go forward with the gm or the head coach and, you know, I think he looked at both those guys and looked at the GM and that's a guy who's worked for him for 22 years and has been loyal and gets along with everybody. And then you had the head coach who, like you said, has been through, you know, three different offensive coordinators and in an interim. He's been through three different offensive line coaches and in an interim. He's been through two defensive coordinators um, and he didn't, he didn't get along with the GM. And so, you know, I think that that's where that decision came from. Um, and, you know, there are stories. Um, there are definitely stories about, you know, how Flores was with people. Now he came from new England and I would always argue, um, and this is the interesting thing about, you know, new England, um, and people that are from there. If you are hiring a head coach or a general manager, who's from that system, 
and then you're going to put people from different era, from 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 different programs in with that person. You're risking this sort of thing happening. I think that was a part of it. Was you know Flores had come from a very militaristic place in New England, and when you're bringing in people from different backgrounds and different places, sometimes it can be difficult for those people to work in that environment. And sometimes those guys in charge that are from New England adjust and adapt. But Flores believed so deeply in what he was doing that he kept going forward with it. And I'm not going to lie, guys. I mean, I, I look, I, I've been reporting on this and, and, and making calls on this for a couple months on, on where things had gone wrong in Miami and where they were and where they were going to be after 2021. Um, some of the stuff in the Flores lawsuit definitely makes me, you know, circle back on some of my reporting. And looking at the way that he was sort of portrayed, I mean, it does definitely make you go like, all right, like I got to, you know, double check and look back at like a lot of the stuff that I had that, that, that I had made calls on and that I had reported on um, because it wasn't a very flattering picture at the end of December, beginning of January. Speaking of reflecting, and, and by the way, we're with Albert yeah. Breer of the MMQB. Uh, reflecting on the career of Tom Brady, uh, we last had you on going into week four and his return to Foxborough. Uh, and and yep. what ultimately ended up being a great tour for him as he goes through Foxborough, he's on the he's got that series on ESPN and much more. Um, but Albert, he he played 22 years in the league and goes out and leading some categories as the very best quarterback this past year in touchdowns, passing yards. I mean, it's not like we saw the decline at age 44. First off, when you when you started to hear the rumblings that the, this could be it for him, were you surprised? given the fact that he's always referenced older age, you know, earlier this year, he mentioned yeah. 50 years old. He's mentioned the, the age 46 before. And what comes to mind first, as you begin to reflect and begin to write your thoughts on paper or on, on your computer about the career yeah. of Tom Brady? It did surprise. It did surprise me. Um, you know, I, I know um, before the year when he signed his revised contract, he'd made, he'd come to an agreement with the Bucs that he was going to play in 2022. So I think his plan had been to play in 2022. Um, he'd also had that number, 45, that he wanted to play until he was 45 out there. And he turns 45 in August. So he was right there on the doorstep of, of hitting that marker. Um, yeah, I think he walks away for a couple of reasons. Like family's definitely part of it. You know, he's got a, um, his oldest is going into the high school and lives in New York. And I think it became harder and harder for him to be as be around Jack as much as he wanted to. So that's, that's a piece of it. Um, you know, and then, you know, I think like where the bucks are logistically um, was, I, I think he sort of saw it as like, I, if I come back, like, are we going to be able to bring the same team back? And if we can't bring the same team back, are we going to have a, are, are we going to have some problems on the roster where this can be sort of a retooling year for us? And I do think to some degree, I mean, there was some level of frustration with some of the stuff um, in Tampa. Like, it's a little bit of a looser environment. Yeah, as for how I'll remember him, I mean, the numbers are just bananas, you know. And I think as much as anything else, the ultimate competitor, the ultimate winner, um, you know, I, I think the standard for what you look for in a quarterback, like from an intangibles point of view, um, 35 playoff wins. The next quarterback on that list has 16. That's Joe Montana. I mean, he won four Super Bowls after he turned 37, uh, which is as many as any other quarterback has ever won. Um, some of the stuff that he's done is just mind-boggling. And so I think his legacy is as great a winner as the sport's ever seen. 
And I actually think like and, and the way I've always looked at this and, and the last few over the last few years, after he won his fifth, I think the the argument on who the greatest football player ever was ended. And I think it went from arguing about Brady versus Lawrence Taylor versus Jim Brown versus Joe Montana to now it's Tom Brady versus you know, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady versus Muhammad Ali, Tom Brady versus, uh, you know, versus, uh, you know, Jack Nicholas is the greatest athlete of all time. So, uh, yeah, that's a little long winded, but I, you know, I, I think his, the level of accomplishment is just bananas. Yeah. It's well said. And yeah. it, another surprising aspect to the retirement is that he did it on Instagram. Ultimately, I, I would have never yeah. guessed that he would do it on social media that way. Um, do, do you think it's different if the news doesn't get out over the weekend through the reports that he was going to retire and then the, the brief, what, three-day period where there was no confirmation of it? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that there's definitely a possibility that maybe he waits. Uh, you know, he's, he, he, he's in Europe right now, and I don't think it was his intention to, to do it, that to, to, to maybe go through with it before the season ended. Um, my guess is he may have done it like the week after the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, but like the, the, the cat's out of the bag. And I think I'm sure like, and this is just me speculating, but you know, I think like, you know, Brady had a chance to kind of, I I think soak in some of what people thought of him on Saturday and Sunday. Um, even as he was upset that the word had gotten out. And so, you know, I, I, I think he probably felt like it was appropriate, like during the Super Bowl bye week. So the speculation wouldn't like run rampant over the next couple of weeks to just kind of put his own name on it. And I'm sure there'll be some sort of video and that sort of stuff down the line. And I do think like maybe some of uh, that stuff being produced would have been a factor in, and in, in maybe him making the official announcement a little later. Watching those final two years outside of the <coughs> Patriots umbrella, outside of the Patriots way, uh, how much do you think he just enjoyed an experience, a looser experience, if you will, outside of, of that? before yeah. he finished Paul I think it's I think it's it works both ways like I think in certain ways it, it probably frustrated him at times you know um, I do think that there were certain things about it um, like the operation in New England is so tight you know what I mean like and so like you'll never see them mess up the clock you'll never see them um, throw the ball two yards short of the sticks on third down um, you know there's so many things about about that operation that are just so rooted on detail and um, structure and like I do think going to Tampa, there were some things that weren't that way that maybe frustrated him a little bit. But the upside of it for him, he was really able to make that place his own. You know, um, if if you went to a training camp practice there the last couple of summers, um, or you were there on a game day, it was unmistakable. I mean, it was his operation, and it was an intense place because Tom was the one setting the tone for everybody. So I think in that sense, it was pretty cool for him to be able to go to a place and put his own mark on it. And that mark obviously has a lot of new England marks as part of it. Um, So, you know, I think, I I think he enjoyed that part of it. I think he always enjoyed the relationships and being able to build relationships with guys that are literally part of a different generation than he is. Um, You know, and then I think obviously it's rewarding, you know, being able to do all that and then, and then, and then, you know, have the, 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 the proof that his way works, that he could do it by winning a championship. Um, and if you want a good illustration of how their, um, how those, their guys bought in, 
I mean, you guys know TB12 and Alex Guerrero and um, all the work that they've done. Um, well, 27 of 53 players in the roster at one point were going to Alex Guerrero <laughs> to get work done. Uh, I think that kind of gives you an idea of how deeply um, you know Brady's teammates, his younger teammates, were buying into the way he did things. And I think he believes um, that in that way, his legacy will live on because there are a bunch of young players in Tampa that learned a whole bunch the last two years. Albert Breer with us. Uh, Super Bowl 56 coming up, Albert. Uh, curious, so in this matchup, the two franchises could not be any more different, really, from ownership to uh, you know the, the way they acquired these players to stadium and facility uh, and everything in between, uh, just comparing L.A. to Cincinnati for that matter. What's the biggest storyline for you on, on a, a tree full of them uh, from Burrow and, and what he's been able to do in year two to Stafford joining L.A. and, and seeing McVay get back uh, to, the, to the championship. What's number one for you on that list? I, I mean, I think that I, I got a number one for each team. How about that? Okay. I think number one for me on the Rams side is obviously the all-in approach and how aggressive they were and they've done things differently. And so, you know, like the opportunity for Odell Beckham to, to, to get on that stage, for Matthew Stafford to be on that stage, um, you know, and guys that I don't know that we'd ever seen as, I, I guess, like, like quote-unquote winners, right? Like now those guys will get an opportunity because of this approach that Rams have taken to climb on that stage and show us that they are. Um, you know, then I think that the, on the other end of it with the Bengals, there's just no question, you know, what Joe, Joe Burrow's meant there. And, you know, I, we just talk, got done talking about Brady. I think Burrow is the closest thing to Brady stylistically and just from an intangible standpoint that we've seen come in the league since Brady was a young player. And, um, you know, I, I think what's so interesting about him, and you guys are in Nashville, right? So you guys saw it. Like a couple of weeks ago, he, I think this is the best example of a couple of weeks ago against the Titans, gets sacked nine times, got the crap kicked out of him. And a lot of times in those sorts of situations, a young quarterback will crumble. He'll start seeing ghosts. He'll get hurried up. He'll put the ball in the other team's hands. And you saw none of that from him. Like he was, I mean, from, from start to finish of that game was the same guy, despite getting knocked around the way that he got knocked around. And so, um, you know, like I think seeing that guy and seeing a guy who, no matter what you do to him, is, is going to be standing there at the end swinging. Um, I guess a team that I think most people would agree is probably a little more talented than his, I think is going to be fascinating. And I give the Bengals more than a puncher's chance. I think that they can beat the Rams. The hand of Sean McVay is a powerful thing. And this is the ultimate testament to that with this coaching matchup in this game. How big is Zach Taylor versus Sean McVay for the future of the Sean McVay coaching tree? Well, I mean, they, they win either way, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to think, but like the last three teams that were alive that are standing there after the AFC title game, it's a guy that Sean worked for um, in Kyle, Sean himself, and then a guy that worked for Sean in LA. Um, you know, and so I, I think, you know, it's, I, I think what it is, like more than anything else with that tree, um, those guys are all grinders. Those guys are all, I think, pretty smart. Um, and those guys all have an idea how to connect with young players. And, you know, I just think that there's sort of a mold um, that Mike Shanahan looked for um, in, in, in all young coaches and like being very detail oriented 
and understanding the ins and outs of everything on both sides of the ball, being able to see the game globally. And, you know, you see sort of how that's evolved in the, like Kyle now helping some young guys come, come up and come through. Um, you know, you look at like an Arthur Smith who sort of got a crash course on how to do that and working with Matt LaFleur. And now I think he's like a really promising young head coach there in, um, in Atlanta. So I, I think the tentacles of the, the McVeigh Shanahan tree are going to keep growing. And uh, there's no question. I mean, like you look back a couple of years and all the jokes, friends of McVeigh and everything else. It was funny at the time. Um, doesn't look so funny anymore. <laughs> you know, it looks like it's actually it actually it, it, it looks like a pretty viable blueprint for teams that are looking for coaches. Before we let you go, what's the, the one most intriguing thing uh, you've, you've caught wind of or seen uh, at the senior bowl so far? Yeah. You know what, Paul, it's funny. Like I get down here and you know, this go, how this goes, you have no control over news breaking, you know? So the Brady thing breaks and the Flores thing breaks. So and now all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I, I would say the quarterbacks, I mean, I think it's what it always is this time of year. Um, you know, but the quarterbacks, I think here and then the quarterback situation across the league and what it's going to be, um, you know, and just seeing what's on the field and then seeing what's being talked about off the field. Um, it's going to be fascinating because I think there are going to be a lot of teams out there looking for quarterbacks. This group, the consensus is the draft group isn't very good. Um, and so, like, I think you get guys who have a chance, but there's no Trevor Lawrence this year. There's no Justin Fields or Trey Lance. There's no one like that this year. Um, and so Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Malik Willis, those guys are all going to be battling to kind of position themselves to be the first one taken. And then you attach, you know, what I think is widely seen as a mediocre quarterback class to what could be available on the veteran market. Is Russell Wilson going to be available? Is Aaron Rodgers going to be available? Where's Deshaun Watson going? Um, I think this like game of musical chairs with the quarterbacks that a lot of people anticipated coming last year, but only came to a certain degree could really come this year. And so I, there's a lot of that talk here. And I, and I think that from that standpoint, it's going to be a really interesting off season. Um, and by the way, guys, I mean, you are there in Nashville, right? Yes. Um, Desmond Ritter is an interesting guy, guy for Titans fans to watch. He's had a good week thus far. I know the coaches that are working with him um, are impressed with him. And I can tell you that Luke Fickle loves the guy and has sold him hard to teams. And I'm pretty sure you guys are aware of who Luke Fickle's best friend is. So I'll give you that nugget to, to might be there for the Titans at the end of the first round, you know? Good stuff. Good observation. Albert, we always appreciate you coming on the show, man. Great stuff. And uh, maybe we'll see you out in L.A. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank right. you. Albert Freer from the MMQB. Uh, you can read his work there and just follow him on Twitter by his name, at Albert Freer. Coming up, primary complaint on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We've got 360 headlines for you coming up in 10 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. And every week at this time, 
is primary complaint. And guys, I will kick things off today with uh, something that Claire documented well last week. We had a, uh, a smoke detector, fire alarm, beeping. Um, we moved in this home like four years ago now. Maybe it was three, three or four years ago. And you can see 25-foot ceilings. Um, we've got the smoke detector in the very top corner of the room over a staircase. So, I mean, my eight-foot ladder isn't going to work out of the garage. Uh, I'm not going to pull the, the Jim Wyatt special, uh, lo a local writer, a beat writer for the Titans at the time who fell off a ladder and broke both arms and wrists. Um, so we had to call around. We, we put out messages in the neighborhood. Nobody's got a ladder that's going to reach and extend over the stairwell in order to reach this uh, smoke detector. So uh, the only option we had was to call the fire department. And yes, the fire department came and changed the battery for me. It took four of them. They Be actually, gross. they needed two trips because the fire department didn't have a ladder the first trip that would allow them to come into our home and change a battery in the smoke alarm. To the designer of our home and those who allowed this to pass codes, you are my primary complaint. That is crazy high. Um, I've got a complaint this week about a company I never thought I'd be complaining about because I love their customer service, love their stores, Publix, grocery stores. So I have to do some errands early in the morning with our show in the afternoon at times. I'm at the store at 8.30 a.m. Walking through the store to pick up a few things. My family likes to eat salmon. So I go to the seafood counter at Publix. There are three people working behind the seafood counter. If you've ever been to Publix, you know they're very friendly. Can I help you with anything? Almost to an annoying degree at times. They're so good at it. Always ask if they can help you with anything. I'm just looking at what's in the case, and a man comes to me that's working there and says, can I help you? I said, yes, I would like some bourbon salmon, please. <laughs> and he says, looks at me confused and says, well, that's going to take four or five minutes. I said, no problem. Got a few other things to get. I'll go on my way and come back. I come back. He prepares the bourbon salmon for it, hands it to me, and says, oh, hey, by the way, we don't open here until 930. I'm sorry, sir. Your store is open. <laughs> the seafood case is open. There are three workers back here, and you asked me if you could help me with anything. And I answered you honestly and said, yes, I'm looking for the bourbon salmon, and you offered to give it to me. There was no need for that. This is one where silence will do just fine. Just hand me the bourbon salmon. You're there doing something else. It didn't take you long. No need to shame me by saying, but the seafood counter doesn't open until 930. Don't even ask me if I need any help. Just go about your business if that's the case. It's my primary complaint. Shame. Uh, two things. Uh, Hutton, I have a ladder that will reach that. We'll discuss a few later in chat. It's right. pronounced Salmon. Um, <laughs> my mother agrees with you on that, by the way. We've been trying to correct her for years. So uh, I'm a proud son of the South. I champion everything of the South. But it's time for people in the South to stop proving people like Paul Wright. We've had to endure some snowstorms in the South here lately. And this has happened to me in Tennessee and in Kentucky on Saturday. The failure of you to clean off the snow on top of your car is going to kill someone. And it's just further evidence that we can't handle snow here in the South. Look, I know it happens down here about as often as a team up north winning a college football championship, <laughs> but you should at least be prepared for it and use common sense when it happens. That is my primary complaint. They don't understand it, Dave. My primary complaint is immersive Van Gogh. I want to be immersed in Van Gogh. 
very badly. I've heard great reviews of this. You go, it's all lit up. You walk through it. It's you real? are truly immersed. It does in it. exist. I don't know if it exists <laughs> because when I bought tickets for it, they were for November nineteenth. But then the whole thing was uh, shut down, twenty twenty one, and rescheduled for. And then my tickets were for December seventeenth, and then it was pushed back and rescheduled. And then my tickets were for February twenty fifth, and then it's been shut down and rescheduled. And my tickets are for April fifteenth. That, if you're counting at home, is a five month, four time delay. I don't have a lot of faith in uh, in in the project at this stage. Other cities, it seems to have come off. Flawlessly, but the people who are running it in Nashville, Tennessee, I don't think are people who should be running things. It's have, a, they, have they announced the location? Yeah, it's somewhere over uh, towards Belmead. It's it's a brilliant scam if you just continue to <laughs> yeah. delay something until you forget about it yeah. and don't ask for your money that back. Money, that money, because let's say sixty percent of people interest. just say they forgot about it. Oh yeah, didn't we pay for They're tickets? They're very or something? And you don't go back to them for the refund, and you just pocket money for no event well they're very communicative because i just ran through my emails to get those dates just you know 20 minutes before the show started <laughs> and i was surprised how easily i found all of these emails about hey we're very sorry hey we're very very sorry hey we're very 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 sorry yeah let's get it together over there you, i want to be immersed have you actually seen pictures from other cities of this yes. event no it's happening now this is this is an urban legend that's what this is immersive Van Gogh. immerse me <laughs> we're going but to have this soon. event we're, we don't know where, but buy your tickets now, and at some point it'll happen. And people Crazy. lined up. Claim for it. your spot today. And in Claim the meantime, we'll, we'll take your money and we'll earn interest yeah. off of your cash. Hey, well, I mean, it's still going to happen sooner than most concerts. Outkick 360 rolls on headlines next.